0: The demand for energy is accelerating like never before. New sources are emerging and established ones are evolving. Collectively, all sources will provide the fuel needed to support future global demand. Here on the Energy Scale-Ups podcast, we explore and learn about the people and companies solving today's problems to produce tomorrow's energy
1: needs. Here is your host, Jose Solis. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Halliburton Labs. Halliburton Labs works with early stage companies to help accelerate their growth by providing access to operational expertise, mentorship, as well as financing opportunities as companies prepare to scale. Enter to win their weekly giveaway at halliburtonlabs.com forward slash giveaway. Hey there listeners, welcome back to the podcast. The Energy Scales Podcast with your host, Jose Solis. And today I am joined by Brian Toton. And Brian is the CEO and founder of Eat for Prosperity and Gel Formations LLC. And he holds more degrees than a thermometer. Brian, welcome to the show.
0: I appreciate you having me, Jose. Thank you.
1: So today our topic is going to be how we can recycle carbon emissions and food waste to grow biofuels using NASA technology. I think that's a really interesting topic that actually I got from Brian when he approached me on LinkedIn last week, and we connected there as well as on the Constellation website, which has been really interesting and very helpful to connect with people in the community. Brian, if you wouldn't mind, provide the listeners with a little bit about your background and who you are.
0: All right. So I actually grew up wanting to be a dentist, of all things. So I actually started off going to NC State. My undergrad was in chemistry. And when I didn't get into dental, into dental school, I actually finished up two degrees in biochemistry and human biology. So I went the lab route. I worked at LabCorp for a while and then a company called Humacyte. We were growing blood vessels there. And I actually eventually got into the engineering management program at NC State. And when I was in the program, I was in this entrepreneurship class, and we had a, an assignment to kind of develop a product based on a technology. And so I was running through, a, a, you know, a bunch of different technologies. I was really interested at using algae at the time because if you feed algae to cattle, it reduces their methane emissions by ninety nine percent. And uh, if you know that you know cattle, you know, have they produce up to you know twenty percent of all methane emissions on the planet. You know, this is something that I was really interested in doing. I actually had a coworker at the time, she was telling me about recycling food waste. And she gave me the idea of we can use something like a one-way valve trash can to collect food waste. And so I, you know, came up with this idea of doing a residential food waste collection for growing algae. If you think about food waste, it's a potent nitrate source, which is exactly what plants need. You know, plants need carbon dioxide and nitrogen. And so, you know, when I was on top of this landfill, I just remember thinking to myself, like, we could grow algae here. And the bioreactors from NASA actually presented kind of a really feasible way to be able to do that because of kind of what it's made out of. Like traditional algae systems are made of like either pond systems or bioreactors that are PVC pipes. But this was like a thin film bioreactor. So it was actually growing algae in biofilms. So it wasn't really using energy like it uses passive energy. Because in space, they were actually, they mimic the way that plants actually use their vascular system because, you know, with no gravity, there's no way to actually, you know, mix the nutrients. So that was kind of the intended purpose was to grow algae in space to recycle the carbon dioxide from the astronauts. But in my thinking to myself, I'm like, if it's good enough for space, it's going to be good enough here. You know, it really can outcompete the rest of the bioreactors that we use. You know, there was an initial estimations of it because it grows in three dimensions it can outperform other bioreactors by 400%. And so that was kind of the initial, you know, purpose of like why I wanted to use those specific bioreactors over other bioreactors. And then again, the landfill, you know, a lot of people think of it as like a dump. It's a gold mine. You know, it's a gold mine for renewable energy sources because, you know, most people probably don't know this, but a lot of electricity is actually made at landfills and the way that they do that they use customized diesel engines to compress methane gas into energy that co2 is just released as a not as bad solution we don't have a carbon tax but because there's so much carbon dioxide being released at the landfill itself if you separate food waste at the point of disposal and then you know separate it in an anaerobic digester you know there's also leachate tanks which are anaerobic digesters that are pulling leachate out of the landfill, well, you you can just throw the like the food waste into one of those containers itself and allow bacteria to really decompose it. Not to mention they have water that they test on site that they use to dampen the soil and prevent fly ash and the electricity being generated, you know, if you take all those components, carbon dioxide, nitrogen, water, electricity, that's fifty percent of the operational cost. And so if you're comparing Kind of the less capital intensive NASA bioreactors with the landfill infrastructure, we you know with the reduction of 50 percent operational cost, I mean these are going to be really competitive biofuel prices that actually might outcompete fossil fuels.
1: So in what applications like would we have for the biofuels? I mean how would we use them?
0: You would use them exactly like you would use fossil fuels for, except they're more efficient because it's cleaner they're actually 10 percent more efficient and they produce you know, they can actually they burn a lot cleaner so. I would prefer them to be sold to, you know, airline companies and naval yards because I think we're doing a transition towards more electrical cars in the future. And so, you know, we really can't, you know, unless green energy comes up with like a novel plane design, I definitely foresee us using gas for the next like 80 years. And so we actually need to use gas to push those technology innovations further. You know, we can't just transition immediately. We need a buffer zone, but I would prefer if we could just grow it and recycle emissions instead of having to drill and, you know, for the possibility of there to be oil spills or even just, you know, how much methane is being produced by the oil and natural gas systems. You know, this is a way to recycle natural gas to make more oil.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. And it's interesting you mentioned the part about, you know, airlines because I know. Like for instance by reading up on United and, and talking to United directly, that they are working towards creating electric aircraft, but they're going to cover very short distances in comparison to like normal air travel because they just wouldn't be able they just can't they can't get the same, you know, power. They can't admit the same amount of power in a long distance amount of time, right? And so, you know. I think it's going to be really interesting if you were able to use biofuels and make it more efficient and reduced carbon emissions that way. That would be really interesting. Why shipyards? That one's interesting too. I, I imagine the same reasons.
0: The same reason, yeah. It's all about the efficiency of you know comparing it to an electrical system. You know, we use a lot of gas already for most of our ships, so it would just be continuing the stream until we have a you know a solid replacement. Do so I think this is something that we're going to be using for you know the next like two hundred years? Probably not, you know, I hope that there's better alternative sources, but can we bridge the gap up until then? I think this is the solution that can replace fossil fuels to make you know biofuels
1: or replace a portion of it right
0: a, a large portion it well, it depends you know if you have a large community engagement, I mean we have a lot of inefficient landfills you know that are they are just piling up so much other waste. And so what if these poor communities could actually separate at point of disposal and contribute to like a food waste campaign, contribute to growing their own algae for, you know, livestock feed or for biofuels. Then you actually have a kind of like an ecosystem where the community's involvement is is really just based on, are we, it's a behavioral change. Are we separating our waste or not? And if you are separating your waste, you really enhance your community's ability to, generate revenue that way.
1: Well, I know like for instance, I know that in the community that where I live at, we have separated trash bins. So for recycles and then like for normal waste, right? And so would we just add let's say a third bucket to that where it would be here's food waste and then here's like glass and bottles and cardboard and you know, think paper, would we would just be doing more of that? And would like a third truck come by? Cause there's two different trucks that come by to pick up the trash. So how would that work? Cause it sounds great in theory, but we're talking about, I mean, a, a huge change, right?
0: Exactly. So California, Washington, Oregon, they all have food waste collection, but they, you know, their street smell because they're using, you know, they're doing kind of like the open container throw everything like a large trash can, you know, it gets picked up and, you know, it gets carted off and it's sold as compost, which is not a really good return on investment. But what I'm proposing is kind of using like a one-way valve trash can, similar to like the propane tank model. You know, with the, when your propane tank is empty, you take it in, you exchange it for a, a full refurbished one, kind of the same concept, except, you know, when your waste bin is full, you know, it prevents like leaks and spills in your house. You take it out to the curb I want to have these modified trucks, but that would actually have LiDAR detection, which is used for actually steering, you know, and actually locating, geolocating your car for driving. You could use that to automate your collection of these cans. So it could actually pick up the can, put it in the truck and then replace it with a refurbished, clean, empty one. And it would sort it. So it maximize the space within the garbage itself. And so you really make it convenient for the residential consumer to use it. And then you're optimizing how much food waste is being able to go back into, you know, the landfill separated at point source and within a community setting, you know, let's say that you have like a community of like 500,000 in a population, you would end up getting more than 200,000 tons of municipal solid waste of just food waste, which is the equivalent of like 13,000 kilograms of methane a year that you can divert.
1: Yeah, I was doing some homework and I came up on the EPA's website, the epa.gov website, just to look at some stats on landfills and it turns out that there's 24 like food food waste makes up 24%, which is just over 35 million tons of food waste. So I mean, it makes up, you know, a large portion of what is going into the landfill. So we could also reduce our our landfill footprint by not, you know, by reusing those, that waste, right. And not letting it just go to, go to waste in the exactly. landfill.
0: Yeah. You would extend the life of the landfill. We waste up to 46% of all of our food. Wow. Due to COVID, our residential food waste got, has went up by 30%. And it was already the greatest contributor of food waste that we had was from residents. It wasn't commercial. It wasn't from farms. It was from, you know, people's homes. And people, you know, in, in small businesses, you know, this was going to the landfill and it's mixed with our trash. So it's wasted. Whereas, you know, if we are able to sort it out, you know, we can really extend the life of the landfill. We can really make it where we're optimizing, you know, the recovery. And depending on how we use it, I mean, do we want to put it back into the ground as compost or do we want to make it where it's economical? Like, do we want to recycle it back into the food chain as like a livestock feed or What I'm proposing, because during a lot of my interviews with ICAP, I've been understanding that a lot of these landfills want to optimize kind of what their revenue is going to look like. And so if they become a biofuel factory, you know, they can end up with a low operational cost, but they can maximize their revenues. Depending on how large the landfill is, I mean, some algae systems can reach up to 100,000 gallons of oil per acre. And if you're talking about using just half the landfill space of like these county landfills of that are 800 acres. So let's say that we're only using 400, you know, acres, that's about, you know, 40 million gallons of oil that we can make. And that's about the equivalent of like $141 million. You know, that's enough to pay for the entire operations of all the collection within food waste and within just the normal recycling industry, and municipal solid waste. So it kind of allows you to really benefit the community and lower your taxes, you know, based on how efficiently we're recycling. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, Editor-in-Chief here at OGGN. Sorry for the interruption, folks, but I just want to share a few quick things for November. First, our industrial mixers here in Houston, November 17th. It's usually the last Thursday of each month, but because of the holidays, we're having to move stuff around. We're also launching a new live stream, OGGN Unscripted, on November 16th, We'll be at the Rockwell Automation Fair November 10th through 11th. You can come free. We'll have a live podcast there. We'll be hosting some panels. And then we'll also be at the 23rd World Petroleum Congress, 5th through 9th, once again with live podcast and hosting a couple of panels. For this information and everything else, just follow us on social. Check us out on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. And if you go to LinkedIn, go ahead and join the OGGN Street Team. I'll see you again
1: next month. That's interesting. I think, do you think that When you threw out that stat about forty six percent of all food gets thrown away, I wonder because of like the increase in food costs recently. I wonder if that will improve because obviously food will become more expensive. People will waste it less, or they'll buy less of it. What do you think? Do you think that would be? Do you think that that's something that's going to happen, or do you think that that number that that's going to stay steady?
0: I mean, I can only hope for the best. I think a lot of it has to do with just the trucking cost. Of transportation and like the supply chain issues. So once we can improve those issues, that would kind of reduce like the pricing. Do I think we're going to mitigate our food waste? I don't think so. I think it, you know we're really trying to mitigate the prices by creating a lot of supply. You know, and that can work to some you know to some extent. And you know, even like some Amazon farmers, they were clearing out the forest just so they can actually you know, raise herds of cattle that way. And a lot of our agriculture, you know, it's grown for, you know, feeding animals, you know, a lot of, we subsidize corn and soy, and this actually promotes a lot of inflammation in cows. And so if you feed an unhealthy cow to a human, you know, that person's going to probably become more inflamed too. And, you know, their risk of disease and cost of healthcare goes up. So, you know, in terms of like, how we're approaching our life cycle with you know within just the food itself, you know, I definitely don't think that food prices are gonna I don't think food prices are gonna decrease anytime no. soon. I don't think that we're gonna be decreasing how much we waste, but we I think we're starting to improve how efficiently we're collecting it. So, you know, maybe I'm not the only person with the solution, but they're starting to I mean it's starting to pick up where states are saying, Hey, I want this to be part of our thing you know, part of our legislation. And even in Asheville and North Carolina, I mean, it's like a little secluded, you know, a mountain town, they're already thinking about sustainable ways to, you know, really improve our waste collection. And even in other countries, I mean, we're really behind in the United States, but elsewhere in like Norway and Europe, I mean, this is something that is very common that they do. I just think they waste so much of their revenue in putting it back into the ground as compost where algae, you can grow it, unlike these random you know you can grow it anywhere that, where there's methane being emitted you know and you can even coal plants you know people can think about coal plants as being these detrimental ways to like you know as like harming the climate but it's grow, it could grow plants. you know you could really optimize algae growth because that is always the limiting factors how much carbon is needed you know if you can maximize what's being emitted there and put it into your systems because it's already in a contained bag, it just makes it where it really improves the efficiency of growing the algae.
1: So it sounds like the main users or the clients of gel formations would be the landfills. Is that right?
0: That is my first option. My second one was, you know, actually, you know, swine lagoons, like pig farms, because they already have a lot of they have, you know, the animals, they have the livestock and they already have a ton of methane and the swine lagoons and there's they're just, it's just going up into the atmosphere and there was like no permitting in place to actually protect us. So they have Teflon tarps that actually do methane capture. You could use that in combination with like an anaerobic digester and you wouldn't even have to transport it. I mean, that's actually the benefit of doing it on the farm. And I actually thought that might've been my first one, but the landfill in- infrastructure, I think is a little bit better, but you know, to have the farm where you don't have to transport anything that really, that really helps the farmer out. Especially during the you know the winter months when it's like how do I feed my animals? Well, if you're growing it yourself, you know, and you can monitor the environmental factors of the, the bioreactors, then yeah, you know, you can really aid in kind of like the you can really bring cattle up to weight a lot quicker because you're feeding them a more nutrient dense you know feed compared to you know hay and whatever is in store.
1: So, have you started to approach some landfills to start? trying to, to get them on to take on these projects. How's that been going? It's
0: been great. <laughs> I've been learning a lot. I learned right away that, you know, we really don't have any carbon taxes or anything like that. We have permits to, you know, think of ways to, you know, to mitigate methane, you know, but carbon emissions are just flooding, you know, and there's really no way for us to like, you know, prevent it. I've been learning about kind of like the human impact. A lot of people really just do not want to be around landfills. Some people getting sick around landfills and also kind of learning about like, you know, all the different ways we can optimize using algae on landfills. You know, I actually don't tell my customers like what I'm doing. You know, I just want to find like their pain points. And a lot of them, you know, they want to be better at recycling and they always want to generate more revenue. So you know, whenever I bring up that, you know, I want to recycle the carbon emissions, you know, they're pretty, they're always, you know, their ears go up. They're like, what are you planning to do? <laughs> like, how are right. you going to be able to do that? Like, I'm not going to put it underground. You know, I'm going to actually use what plants were already made to do, which is to absorb carbon and to grow.
1: So the systems, I'm assuming that there's probably some system that you have to build and to retrofit the facility with in order to to yield the algae, right? And what's that process look like? Like how much, what's the capital expenditure on something like that?
0: Not as much as you think, because they already have the infrastructure in place. Like I was already telling you that they're extracting methane to combust, to you know, create electricity. So landfill waste to energy facilities are very common. Even in Florida, where Florida actually has a high water table. So they're burning trash to create energy. You know, and they're just emitting a ton of carbon. So the carbon is right there, you know, and they have a lot of contractors and facilities that are already in place. Now, I'm actually, we're still at a lab scale. You know, NASA just, you know, they made it where it was going to be for a space shuttle. You know, I need to be able to take essentially a lab scale and make it, you know, the size of like a six foot by six foot bioreactor, And I'm going to basically hang it up like, you know, you would put your coat on a hanger. And I would just stretch that out, you know, around the perimeter and also like on the unused space that's already filled. And, you know, I would just have, you know, flexible tubing from, you know, from those facilities, you know, the waste of energy facility and also from an anaerobic digester to pump the nutrients into the bioreactors. And the great thing about the bioreactors is you don't have to pump all of it out. Like you could you just have to pump out 90 percent of it and the remaining 10 percent of the algae. You just regrow because it's unicellular, new seller. So just, you know, whatever's there, it's going to continue growing and growing. And as long as you don't remove all of it, it makes it really efficient. And of all the biofuel, you know, methods to grow, you know, this is the only one that doesn't strip soil. So if you think about like, what is the most common biofuel, it's probably corn, and then followed by like sugar cane, you know, but algae makes a lot more sense because it doesn't strip the soil, and it and it's such it's such a good plant in terms of photosynthetic efficiency. You know, compared to like a high plant or moss, they only get like four point five percent photos photosynthetic efficiency, where algae gets like six point nine. You know, the lungs of the planet aren't the Amazon forest said Siberian forest; it's phytoplankton in the ocean. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're about to give a discussion on a paper that you're getting published on for the Society of Civil Engineers. Is that right?
0: Yeah, American Society of Civil Engineers, and the conference is the International Conference on Sustainable Infrastructure.
1: And I'm assuming that this is what you're going to be talking about and presenting your findings and the research that you've done, right?
0: That is correct. Yeah, so I did like a technology analysis of kind of like what it would cost like, and kind of uh, I did a lot of I did a lot of math. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot lot of times people you know are trying. I wanted to prove the business wise why this would be an efficient system. So you know, when I take into account, like, what kind of, you know, carbon dioxide recycling that we can achieve, and, you know, like what it's going to cost, you know, the difference is a lot of these, you know, it's a lot of it's like, you know, capital intensive. And so the bioreactors that I was talking about the PVC pipes, if you did it on like a 400 acre landfill, the minimum expense would be like 50 million to start, you know, and I'm proposing that my bioreactors would cost 13 million for four, you know, for 400 acres, yeah, that's a great incentive. Like, you know, yes, let's use the cheaper ones that are actually more, you know, that optimize what we're trying to accomplish. And so, you know, that was kind of like the main goal of writing that paper was really just to figure out all the components of like, you know, this is like a societal problem. How are we solving it? We're using the landfill infrastructure to really optimize my plant growth and also using it as a method that will, you know, improve the revenue of the landfill itself that is going to outcompete, you know, because it, it needs to be market competitive. Like we can't just say we're growing biofuels and then they can't outcompete fossil. Like there has to be a, a reason why we're going to be able to sell it. And so the reason why would be, you know, this is going to be cost competitive to you know, what we're extracting from, you know, the ocean or wherever we're, you know, drilling it from.
1: So how did you get the price tag down from 50 million down to 13? Like, how do you achieve that?
0: So it's the difference between using a PVC pipe and using polyethylene film, you know, that really is like the difference, like the material costs. And that wasn't even talking about the efficiencies, but like just using the different style plastics, it changes kind of like the installation costs. And I've gotten previous estimations from like other research papers. Whether I'm gonna be exact with that, or if I'm gonna be, you know, far off. You know, I just wanted to do kind of the closest comparison of what I believe is gonna cost. Just so if anybody really was serious about investing, you know, I could give them like an actual, you know, clear-cut answer of like this is what it's gonna cost, and you know, this is how. Much revenue you're going to be able to make in like the next like year or five years.
1: I guess this might be a silly question, but why wouldn't somebody go with a different material to begin with? Why would you know? Why wouldn't they use the less expensive material?
0: Well, you know, they're more durable. You know, PVC pipes would be more durable, and there's also plate bioreactors that are made of glass. So you know, you could make them kind of look like solar panels in a sense. So they are angled directly at it. But that's, you know, a lot of times, like, you know, a lot of these systems, they don't even need light. They just need, like, a lot of nutrients. So it really has been the limiting factor has been the technology itself. Like, these film bags haven't been around that long. They've only been around for maybe five, you know, seven years. And, you know, a lot of times they're kind of – they look like the PVC pipes just made of polyethylene. So you get the capital reduction, but you get the inefficiency within – how much water is being used, where the bioreactors from NASA, you know, because they were made for space, they were using passive energy for mixing, and they used 96% less water. And so Mm -hmm. that's kind of like where you see the real operational efficiencies of these NASA bioreactors and why they're able to, you know, really outcompete what the other polyethylene material is look like. So, I mean, not just the capital expense, but just how well is it actually performing because you're growing in three dimensions now instead of like a 2d kind of suspension.
1: And will gel formations, will you also like once let's say once you get started with some landfills, are you also going to attack the problem of the source collection with, you know, the, how you source it, like the tools used to source, like you mentioned that you had an idea for like a single vacuum tube or something along those lines, like the collection process. Because I'm assuming you have to tackle that problem in order for the landfill problem to be effective, or the landfill solution to be f- effective, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I really am going to have to find really solid partners to be able to assist me with this. In terms of, I applied for a you know circular economy accelerator program because I wanted to do a food waste collection foregrowing the algae but then kind of like the single waste stream of like how we can take that algae and feed it to cows and how people you know that eat cows you know how does it impact their systemic health whether we have to you know we will definitely have to develop solutions for it but if there's a will there's a way so you know a lot of it really what i'm focused on in my initial start is to scale my technology and then to do a pilot testing And once I get verification that this is a solution that's achievable, because I've never heard of anybody growing algae from landfills. You know, it's just something that has not really been done. And I've heard experts saying it has been done, but I still have yet to see it. So, you know, and when I am able to prove it, I really want to be able to say, all right, we have the model and this is how we were able to achieve it. Now, fortunately, I had the luxury of like, I met a former NASA scientist of 26 years. His name is Jonathan Trent. And so he came up with the idea of doing this augmented intelligence network where he wanted to build a farm that uses blockchain that would be able to essentially have a a, a monitoring of all the pumps that are working together. And I'm also contracted with a company called Lucien Rich Bio with my other company, Eat for Prosperity. And Lucy Rich Bio is a bioinformatics service that utilizes next generation sequencing for microbial monitoring. And so I wanted to actually incorporate gas sensors made at the assist center at NC State and incorporate that into my bioreactor. So now I can actually do microbial monitoring in continuously within this augmented intelligence network. So then I am being able to trace kind of the microbial contents of what's in the bioreactor bag to understand the efficiencies that are uh, you know, going on with it. And what I'm hoping to do one day is I call it a meat grading tool. And the way that I see it is it's a capsule for cattle that will be ingested, and it's going to take the microbiome readouts within the intestinal tract of a cow, transmit that to the phone using Bluetooth, and using the bioinformatics service, you know, it's going to compile it with an algorithm that could actually determine a systemic illness in a cow. And unfortunately for us, 25% of all cattle end up with liver abscesses due to poor dietary feed. You know, algae is really great because it restores the liver and it actually allows them to grow faster. But in terms of just our normal grain fed cow, this is impacting 330 million cows every year. That's harming you know people's health, not just animal welfare, but the people that eat these animals are also becoming sick too, which is where the dental test comes in really well. You know, I talked about, you know, I wanted to be a dentist growing up, um, but I developed a dental plaque test that actually allows you to detect your inflammation and if you're at risk for, you know, a systemic illness. So heart disease kills more people than COVID and anything else on the planet. This is a method where you could go to the dentist and your dentist is going to be able to tell you from a laboratory, you know, algorithm that you are at risk or you have heart disease and that. I'm going to be able to provide you with an anti-inflammatory diet using, you know, the Eat for Prosperity, you know, I call it the ketogenetic deflame diet. And so I'm hoping that, you know, I can assist you with being able to recover your microbiome to become more preventative in that, you know, the way that you eat. And the reason why I'm even bringing this up is because people go to the dentist twice a year. And what I'm hoping to do is people build up their own baseline DNA using the dental plaque test. So when they go to the grocery store and they buy the algae fed meat, you know, I want them to have a QR barcode on that meat and they could scan that DNA of the cow up into your own DNA plaque profile to to see how your meat produce is influencing human health. And that is how we're going to be able to achieve like a food ecosystem within just how are we disposing our food and why is this impacting our algae health and how that is impacting cattle health all The way back to yourself, you know, so you're kind of influencing the way that you're feeding this ecosystem yourself.
1: Interesting, Brian. How can people connect with you? How can they find you if they want to learn more about the solutions that you're working on?
0: Uh, you can always find me on LinkedIn. My name is Brian Toton. You may also find me on Instagram and Facebook at uh, Eat for Prosperity. And you know, if you want to visit my website at eatforprosperity.com, you know, feel free to you know, send me an email if you want to work on improving your health, you know, I'd be I'd be glad to just walk you through the process of kind of a very systematic way of, you know, understanding what you're currently eating. And then, you know, I can break down like what is promoting inflammation. And then, you know, we can make a program for you to, you know, alleviate some of your inflammation so you can start feeling better.
1: Excellent. And listeners, before we go, I want to remind you that enter to win our weekly giveaway with Halliburton Labs, which is a backpack. It's made of recycled materials. It's really awesome. And also, if you have a chance, please rate, review, and connect with any feedback that you may have. With that being said, Brian, we're going to get on out of here, man. Thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate having you on. And I'm really interested to meet you as well as kind of monitor your growth and and see how things progress with the technology that you're putting together.
0: I appreciate your time, Jose. Thank you so much. And this was a lot of fun.
1: Thanks. We'll talk again soon.
0: Sounds good. Join us again next week for another episode of the Energy Scale-Ups podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGDN.com.